Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of Strive, Struggle, Succeed. This is Brian Macias, and on this show, I seek out people who seem to have solid harmony and good balance, if that's possible. They are leaders in their careers. They seem to be uh, good parents and good spouses. They seem to be very solid community members. And what I want to do is I want to learn from them. I want to pick that apart. I want to understand how they strive and what the struggles have been, and then ultimately what their definition of success is. In this episode, I interview Richard Mandel, who is a mentor of mine and whom I credit a lot of what I've been able to do uh, to him. And as you listen to these podcasts, I think the one thing that's really shining through right now is mentorship, is being able to identify people who are doing it right in your eyes, who have what you want to have, who are doing what you want to do, and then just emulating what they are doing. And so it's really important in the whole point of this podcast is to create some virtual mentors for people. You can listen to the show. You can hear what people are doing. You can pick the things that you think are great and you can do them yourself. In this episode, Richard talks about his relationship with his wife, Rachel. Uh, He talks about raising the family and the decisions that they make in doing that. Um, At the time I interviewed him, he is CEO of One Reverse Mortgage. He talks about uh, his career. He talks about being an entrepreneur. He talks about being an intrapreneur. So being able to work at a company where he can leverage uh, those entrepreneurial skills. He talks about something very, very important that I think is very much overlooked, especially amongst younger generations. To have and do the things that most people are unable, you must have been willing to put in the work on the front end that people were either unwilling or unable to do, right? So he talks about making these investments. He talks about making these choices, these trade-offs, and how they've benefited him in the long run so that now he has flexibility and he has the ability to do and have things that most people wouldn't do. I think that's really important. You can't get to that level without making some sacrifice on the front end. So I hope you'll really enjoy this episode and uh, please uh, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts on iTunes or on SoundCloud. Um, And without further ado, here's Richard Mandel. Talk to me. How is everybody? How are the boys? How is Rachel? Rachel and the boys are good. Sebastian uh, started his freshman year at Michigan State University. You can believe that. He's in college. Pearson is now a freshman in high school. Bash is loving college. We had a hard time getting him to even come home and visit. He came home for the first time last weekend. So we're dealing with a a little transition of Bash uh, out on his own and Pearson kind of trying to come into his own in in high school. And we're doing well. Rachel's doing doing good. We're building a house, so that's pretty time-consuming. And that, with the kids and all of our other interests, it's hard to believe we're busy, but we're busy. I guess it's not hard to believe that we're busy. I was going to say, it's easy to believe you're busy, right? Especially when you're building a house. Let's take a step back. Can you just start by kind of, you know, telling a little bit about yourself, what you do for a living, and how you got there, and just a general overview of who Richard Mandel is? About myself. So I've worked for the Quicken Loans family of companies for the last 20 plus years, and I've been a senior leader for at least 15 of those years. I currently am the CEO of one of our businesses called One Reverse Mortgage. And I've been here since uh, January 2010. Outside of my work here, I would say I dabble in other, you know, businesses. I'm, you know, as a as a very young person growing up, uh, I didn't know the name of it at the time, but I might have called myself a serial entrepreneur until I was about uh, 20, 
three or four years old when I got my first real job here at the Quicken Loans family of companies. And I'm really excited by other businesses. So I've got uh, some additional businesses that I'm involved in. I'm really passionate about leadership, entrepreneurship, doing cool new things. So like innovating, I'm, I'm really, I get really excited when I see people that like to innovate. And I'm really excited by creative people. And I really am passionate about develop, helping people grow and developing people. I think that's me in a nutshell. Tell me about the early days, right? So you said you define yourself as a serial entrepreneur um, up until the age of about 23, 24. Tell, tell me about some of those stints. I must have started five or six businesses before I was 21 years old. And, and some of them were just small businesses. Uh, I, I had a window washing company. I graduated from that to a deck refinishing company. I sold my first business when I was 21. I had two or three other business ideas, and I, we had actually started actual businesses with them, and most of them failed along the way. I think it's one of the things that taught me that, you know, as much as I don't like failing, it taught me that, you know, as long as you're learning from those those experiences, that it's okay to, to go through that, that part of the journey. We had an idea once that we wanted to put advertising on toilet paper. I mean, as silly as that, and we thought it was going to be the next big thing we were going to be able to, you know, give free toilet paper away to large venues and and then, um, you know, be able to sell the ad space for a lot of money. And, you know, it, it was like one of I was always looking for that million dollar idea. And then I think the reality set in that, you know, having shit across someone's business name didn't really sound that great. <laughs> and so, you know, little things like that. Then I landed in the travel business with my sister which ultimately led me to, to Rock Financial. Talk to me about that, Richard. So obviously being a really entrepreneurial guy, right, and I know you to be such even today, like how does an entrepreneurial guy find himself 20-plus years at a company? I think you got to find the right place. You know, what I've always felt about this place is, while we're a business, and we don't say this as much as we used to, but we always used to say it was a business within a business. And, and what I always felt like, it gave me that creative freedom to feel like I was a business owner and an entrepreneur within an organization. And so culturally, the place just clicked with me. And, you know, when I think back, and, and I talk about this a lot with our new folks, when I came here, we were not what we are today. Today, we are, you know, you look at Quicken Loans, you know, competing for the top, you know, one or two lenders in the country. And when I came here in 1996, we were known as one of the fastest growing companies in southeastern Michigan. Not quite the same, right? Today, today we're known as, as somebody trying to uh, change an entire region, trying to reinvent you know, the, the way mortgages are done, among other things, mortgages and real estate. Then we were just known as like one of the fastest growing companies in southeastern Michigan. But what we did have was this great culture that I think has, has actually gotten better over time. We had a lot of smart people who really cared. And I recognized coming here and, you know, why it stuck for me is I think it was just that kind of inherent culture of entrepreneurship that allowed me to operate the way that I was you know, felt felt good about, and, and I stuck. Love that. You just don't see that a lot these days, tw you know, 20 plus years at a company. Can you can you tell me a little bit about your career progression? How did it start, and, and what was the path that, that led you to being the CEO you are today? 
Started out as a mortgage banker here, um, which is essentially an entry-level sales position. Uh, from there, I, I graduated to a leadership position where I had a team of mortgage bankers. I probably held that role with two, maybe three or four teams uh, over the course of five or six years even, you know, uh, moving from a few different teams. There were periods during that time when we had some headwinds, and then there were periods of time where we had a lot of wind in our sails. And I think there was a lot of, you know, there was a word that I thought of a lot as I was going through those ebbs and flows called perseverance and, you know, really thinking about, you know, persevering through some of those struggles. At some point, I became a leader of leaders. And then after doing that for many years, I continued down that path. I was, a, as you know, I was a site leader at Quicken Loans where I had, you know, I think at the peak, maybe seven or 800 people that were on our team. From there, I was given the opportunity to come work on a, a unique business here at One Reverse. Uh, they were looking for somebody that maybe had some of those entrepreneurial qualities that, that I always kept with me and interested in, in working and growing a, a, a business that was still pretty new to us. And so I made the move over to Quicken Loans. And after a year or two here, I uh, was promoted to CEO. It's amazing. So along the way, were there any you know key mentors or people who deeply influenced, you know, who you are and, you know, what you believe in and help to kind of guide that and, and help you get to where you are? Yeah. I mean, when I think back on some of the most, uh, the people that I think impacted me the most, there's really two people that I think of kind of early on pre-Rock Financial slash Quicken Loan slash One Reverse Mortgage. And that's my dad. I was really fortunate. I, I had a very strong role model of somebody who I don't I don't always agree with him on his business decisions, but he taught me a lot of about how to think about things. He was one of the hardest working uh, people that I've ever met. He, you know, it, it was a different generation. My dad is 85 now, and his generation. I mean, it was really nothing for my parents to go through certain things that today, just I'm not sure many of the generations that have followed would have the same, I want to call it toughness, to, to persevere through and to get through and to actually understand that to, to have a, to build a life a certain way, like you got to do some of these things. But you know, I think of my father raising, this was before I was born, but we're a family of six. At the time he went to law school, he had a full-time job as an architect, was going to law school to become an attorney and raising four kids. And so you think about that, today's generation, I mean, I struggle to really see many people that are willing to do those kind of things. And he was my role model. And and then he was a self-employed guy, had his own firm, practiced law and architecture. You know, many nights he was, you know, out at the office working late. He also was, and I think that, you know, one of your goals here is to try to understand, you know, how people hold it all together. I do think he comes from a generation where they just didn't quit that easily. I'm not saying people in his generation didn't get a divorce, but regardless of how my parents felt at certain times about their relationship, I think they were committed to each other. And I think sometimes you don't find that, but they were my role models for that. You know, he did always find the way to prioritize things correctly. I never felt growing up for as hard as he worked that I was played second to anything. And I was the youngest of six, so you can imagine there were a lot of people and things competing for my parents' attention. Uh, but he was an incredible role model. I also, one of my best friend's fathers, Bob Budman, who also, you know, 
who's another great role model who taught me about the power of positive thinking and how important it is to surround yourself with the right people. And he was a sales guy through and through, so he taught me some of that and uh, just an incredible role model. As an adult, you know, I think of some of my siblings, but in the in the business world, look, I had Pat McGinnis, Steve Piazza, Bill Emerson, Jay Farner, and Dan Gilbert. You know, th- these were some guys that I could look at and say, wow, you know, they, they have a pretty incredible picture of success. And each of them in, in a different way. Each one of them, I think, had kind of a different picture that I saw in things that I really admired or things that I wanted to aspire to be like. And so, you know, being exposed to guys like that was really good for me. I think it helped me to really try to understand what I wanted to be like. Yeah, and those are great examples of traits, right? Like your dad's perseverance, commitment, the fact that he always found a way to stay positive, devote his time. You know, you had mentioned that with uh, Pat McGinnis, Piazza, Dan Gilbert, and Jay Farner, they each had some individual attributes that you were able to pull from them. Can you give a couple examples of, of those? Well, you know, Dan, look, Dan is in just one of these icons that just, I always was inspired by his incredible success. And, and you know, I think he operates at just a level that, you know, there's just a few, there's just few people in the world that I think can operate at that level. But I also saw him, you know, again, similar qualities to my to my father. You know, just I saw him do doing family oriented things that um made him a great role model for me. And I'm sure that look, you know, when when you're at that guy's level, I'm sure that there are sacrifices that have to be made. But, you know, we had kids around the same age who played in a similar basketball league or baseball league and shit, I remember seeing him at the games. You know, and I'm sure he couldn't be at every game, but um, he was there, you know, probably at least as many times as I was. And so, you know, things like that, I really admired about him. You know, I think about Bill and, you know, his bravery and just, you know, his ability to kind of cut through the bullshit. That was something that always, you know, I always loved. Actually, I didn't always love it with Billy because sometimes, you know, it doesn't feel so good when he's when he's cutting through the bullshit with you. Uh, what, what I did grow to appreciate was the way that he thinks about things and his ability to just be transparent and straightforward. I always knew where I stood with Billy, and I and I always appreciated that. Jay, I think he's got, you know, an extremely unique business mind. He's one of these people that just, you know, he gets things so fast. I remember when we went through the merger with Intuit, and, and one, of the, one of their leaders was talking about, I think it was, their current, I think it was their CEO, and he was talking about um, the guy that was running GE at the time. I can't remember who his name is, but you know, he was just talking about how, man, he just always aspired to be like that guy because he was just so quick. You know, he just got things so quick and was able to communicate so effectively about those things. And you know, that's something that that seen from from Jay. You know, Piaz, Piaz is one of the most selfless people that I've, I've ever seen. Whether it's people in his career or his family. I mean, the guy just is so giving. He is the true example of a servant leader. Um, and then you got Patrick, who just, you know, very early on, he just makes you feel like family and you trust him and you know he's got your best interests so, in, in mind. And, you know, when I put all these guys together, there's one common thing, and that is that, you know, they understood the concept of sacrifice and work, but I always 
you know, I also get the feeling from each one of them how important family is. And while, you know, all of us probably have some, you know, people in our lives that feel frustrated at times with the way that we live, I always felt like each of these people always knew and understood what was really important in life. You know, I just felt like they had a lot of integrity with that. Great. This is great. So, Richard, tell me about, you know, I think this is a good transition into the next section here. And you know, One of the main questions of, you know, when you think about all of your roles, you've already identified a few of them, right, in terms of your family and, and work. Like, if you're doing it right, what does it look like? You know, th- this is where I may not help your case so much. Because I think if you're doing it right, then you've probably got some people in your life that are feeling a little unhappy. Um, Now, what I do think is important is that you have the people in your life, whether it's your spouse or significant other or your children, you know, if they're old enough to understand these things, that do have common goals with you and, and, and understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. So I think it's important to be on the same page with the people in your life. And that can be very challenging. And I also think that it changes over time. You know, uh, if if you're not communicating regularly about it, then it's easy to get off the same page. You know, I'd love to be able to tell you that, you know, my wife over 20 years, you know, feels great about everything. But, you know, I think 20 years later, she now really appreciates these things. But there were points in the last 20 years, I'm sure she was, you know, pushed to her limit about, you know, I haven't seen you in several days, you know, for more than, you know, a half hour before we go to bed. And some days, you know, zero time because, you know, maybe she's even sleeping when I get home. I do think it's important that you just got to be on the same page. The other thing is, you know, the one thing I do think that my wife does always know is that if she really needs me, I'm there for her. And and whether it's, you know, she fell ill or something with the kids or something with her family or my, you know, just whatever it might be, um, I'm going to figure out a way to make it work because the people in your life do have to feel that they are also important with the things that, that you're going through. Outside of that, I will say, especially for those that are kind of earlier in their career, I always had this philosophy that, you know, in the earlier years, I probably even gave, you know, or not gave, but sacrificed even more because my one of my goals was to be in a position where I had choices later in life. And so I probably missed the first, call it, you know, five plus years of my kids uh, doing a lot of things. Like maybe I missed their first steps or their first words or, you know, whatever it was, or I wasn't there to have dinner with them every night or wasn't there to maybe put them to bed. But I was there for the school concerts. I was able to be there for the ball games that were important. Maybe not everyone, but a lot of them. Um, I was able to be there for the important events in their life because I put myself in a position where I was able to choose to be at those uh, things because of all the investment I made early on. And that's something I work on with a lot of the newer uh, parents that I work with is, you know, my goal, one of my goals for them is to put them in a position when the time comes that they have choices. If they have a game or a concert or a, or a parent-teacher conference or just something that's important that they need to be at, that they're able to do that guilt-free later because they did all the right things leading up to it and put themselves in a position that they could have that that freedom later in life. 
So it sounds uh, like a big piece of what you're saying, Richard. Like really, the the main thing is being on the same page with Rachel. Can you you even mentioned that probably there's been a few times she's been pushed to the limit. So how how do you guys get aligned? And you know how I'm sure it's it's iterative, right? It, and it changes over time, but you know, do you guys intentionally focus on this alignment or has it just kind of fallen into place? Just just in general, how does the partnership work with Rachel? Well, I, there's been times where, um, you know, I think we've spent a lot of time focused on it and there's other times where we're probably not as focused on it. And so, you know, the times when we were focused on it, I think, you know, there was a lot of communication about what our goals were and what we were trying to accomplish. You know, making sure that, she understood what it was going to require for me to be able to accomplish those goals. You know, I think we talked about it a lot when, when that was going on. There was other little kind of little things that we did, too, is, you know, there were periods of time where literally every Sunday night I was giving her my schedule for the week. So she understood uh, what to expect for the week. And, there, you know, a lot of times I found myself just answering that phone call that many of us get. What time are you coming home? Right. We made a decision that, that she wasn't going to call me anymore and ask me because she was going to know in advance what my schedule looked like. I think things like that can be helpful with it. You know, the times where we got off track, I think, is just, you know, especially when you have younger kids, everybody's kind of doing their part. You know, if, you, if you've got a real rigorous schedule, uh, you can wake up one day and not realize, you know, how much time you haven't spent together, uh, you know, working on your personal relationship. But I think it comes down to some self-awareness. You know, a lot of people, I think, either intentionally or not intentionally choose not to be aware of what's going on. And I think that's where the real problem uh, gets gets into place. And you know, I've been my, with my wife for over 20 years now. I, I kind of know when she's getting frustrated. And I have a choice to make when that happens. I can either address it and try to be a part of the solution or let it get to a boiling point where, you know, she's super upset. So I try not to let it get to that point. And if I, if I get, if I, if I start being, you know, sensing that there's a problem, I think, you know, facing it head on versus not talking about it is really important. And that's something that, that um, I've tried to do over the years. I think you asked, like, is it always a focus? No, it's not always a focus, but I think you have to be aware when it needs to be. And then you got to take the right steps with it. Like, having the conversation about, you know, where you're at and what you're trying to do. Talk to me about, like, do you guys have a specific kind of division of responsibilities, right? That it's either formally understood or informally understood that like, hey, here, here's what I do, you know, to contribute and here's what you do. Have you guys kind of fallen into those roles? You know, for us, I don't think it was ever like formally decided Rachel, you're going to clean the house and make sure it's clean and manage the house and manage the kids, and I'm going to go to work. I don't think we ever had that kind of relationship. I think we have a more of a do-what-it-takes kind of mentality. And, look, there's sometimes I come home, and I know Rachel, you know, has cleaned the house three times and between the animals and, and, and the kids. When I say animals, I don't mean the kids, but actual animals and the kids. You know, they're, you know, it, it's a mess again. You know, even though I've worked 12 or 13 hours, maybe I'll do something around the house to, you know, lighten her load a little bit. And if she knows that I've had a tough day and, you know, I've been working hard all week, you know, she'll jump in and do something that makes me feel better. And I think that you have to be with somebody that that does those things. 
I think that's one of the reasons. And, and look, I'm I'm not naive. I love my wife. I don't see us ever not being together. But I also know that relationships sometimes run their course. But I think one of the reasons that we've been successful so far is that I'm with somebody like that and I'm like that. So we really do try to take care of each other. You know, things sometimes present themselves where the kids will want something from us and, and she's not willing to do it. And if I'm willing to do it, maybe maybe it'll get done. If we're both not willing to do it, then the kids just are not going to get that thing. You know, maybe it's a ride somewhere or whatever it might be. But I do think you have to have good teamwork. You know, it, it can't be a that's my job type situation. It doesn't work in business and it doesn't work at home. Everybody has their share of responsibilities, but you also have to know sometimes you got to help out and do things that, you know, maybe aren't, aren't things that you would normally do. By the way, early on, the one decision we made is my wife didn't want to work or she wanted to stay at home and be with the kids. And so that leads to a whole other conversations that I think most people, I think that's the conversation most people do have, actually, is that, you know, when somebody wants to stay at home and raise the children, you know, that, that can lead to some really healthy discussions. Sure. And, and were you always in full support of that? Always. I like what you said about putting yourself in a position to make some choices, right? That you weren't necessarily going to be there for everything, right? Because there were just certain things that happened throughout the course of the kids' lives. And, and I'm with you, right? Like you, you're not home the whole time. You're going to miss the first steps or whatever it might be. Like You can't control when those things happen. But you said, hey, there were things I definitely wanted to go to. And, and because of that, I put myself in a position professionally to be able to just do that. Are there are there certain non-negotiables you have, you know, in the family life? Like, for instance, you know, we, we go to Traverse City over the 4th of July every year, and, and I can't see me really missing that aside from something crazy. I mean, one year we actually did have like an offsite that in the middle of the vacation, I flew from Traverse to North Carolina, but then I flew back to Traverse. Do, do you have things like that that are rituals that, that are kind of non-negotiable that, that you have to make happen? No, we don't have any non-negotiables. We do have some rituals that we try to honor. And, you know, sometimes the rituals change, like you just said. And I'll explain further in a minute. I do think, you know, one one thing that we I know my wife and I have discussed is, you know, there are some people that might live in our neighborhood and they, you know, the dad's home at like five or six o'clock every night, right? And I'll drive through my neighborhood when I get home. And usually it's, somewhere between seven and nine. On some nights, it might be earlier, but usually those are planned, you know, and there's some circumstance. I do think that those choices, we have those choices to do the ritualistic things that we want because of the way that I do work. And we have had those discussions before. If you don't want to worry about making purchases for yourself, then that's this, this is kind of the trade-off is that, you know, I'm, I'm probably going to have to do some things that maybe other families don't have to do. But they are probably concerned about some of the things that you're not concerned about, like purchases you want to make or vacations we want to take or going out to dinner whenever we feel like it. I mean, those are just all I, I feel like it's, it's a trade off. Some of the ritual things. I mean, look, we go away at the end of the year for anywhere from a week to two weeks. And sometimes, you know, I'll go just in on the weekends. You know, if, if there's a spring break and it's a long spring break and I really am not feeling good about taking all the time off, but it's my decision. I get to make that choice because of everything that we did leading up to it. And sometimes it's just unavoidable with schedule, you know, business schedules. You know, some people won't do this, but I'll make a sacrifice where 
you know, so that my family can go away for those two weeks. I'll just come in on the weekends, you know, and maybe I won't get the full two weeks off, but I do it for them so that they can do that. But, you know, I might have to come back and work in between. I don't, I don't know if that's the kind of thing you're looking for. But by the way, let me just tell you one other, you know, thing that I'll do on occasion. You know, look, and I think you have to be self-aware and thoughtful in these decisions. But, you know, I wouldn't normally ever do a staycation, meaning take a week off, but stay home. But there was a year that both of my kids were going away to camp for like the first time. And I just knew my wife was going to be kind of... Um, feeling lonely and sad that her kids were gone. And I'll tell you what, I worked from, I really took the whole week off that the first week they were gone and just spent it with her mostly, you know, did things I wouldn't normally do. And I think it's little things like that that can help with your relationship when you, when you really, you know, think that stuff through. So maybe I sacrificed a vacation that we might've taken, you know, but I was able to spend some quality time with my wife. Well, and you know, along these lines, so one can you tell me a little bit about your schedule? You'd mentioned that, you know, typically you're getting home between seven and nine. Like what time do you typically get into the office? You know, what is, what does a typical day look like? You don't have to be too granular, but you know, do you, do you stay in your office the whole day, eat at your desk or, you know, do you have meetings throughout the day where you're catching up with people? Like what, what does a typical day in the life look like? So I'm pretty ritualistic on, on, on certain things and other things. I can't afford to be, you know, too uh, tied to one thing because it's just you never know what is going to come your way and you have to be flexible. Here are some of the things that I'm ritualistic about. I work out three days a week, sometimes four, but pr pretty much the same times every week, 530 in the morning on Tuesdays, 530 in the morning on Thursdays and eight in the morning on Saturdays. And I choose to work out at those times, not because I'm an early morning person and just love getting up at 4.30 in the morning, but because if I want to do that, I know if I want to work out, something has to sacrifice because during the day or, you know, sacrificing family time or sacrificing work time, it's just not something that I really uh, was excited about. So I chose to sacrifice sleep time uh, for those things. But I get up, let's say, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, somewhere around 6 when my kid has to get up for school. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I get up at 4.30. And either way, I get up. After I work out, I'm usually home by 6.30, so the day pretty much from there starts the same. I shower, feed my dogs. My wife is up. I'll hang out with her for a minute. If she's sleeping, I'll just leave, and I get into work, usually between 8 and 9 every day. Now, of course, if you have meetings or other things, you know, those, those kind of things are, are, uh, will change the schedule. Me personally, I feel like there's a few things that are, you know, super important. One is um, exercise just for overall well-being. Number two is I think eating is really important and making sure that you're eating the right foods is really important. But I maintain a pretty um, disciplined schedule around when I eat because I just, I, I, I think number one, it's healthy. And number two, um, I know myself and I know how I operate best. So I try to eat lunch by noon every day. Whether I eat it at my desk or I take someone to lunch or I do something else or I'm in a meeting and I eat my lunch, whatever it might be, you know, that could change. But that I eat somewhere between 1130 and 1230 every day, that is something that happens 95% of the time. From there, I have meetings. You know, some days I have meetings nonstop. Other days, it's just throughout the day. The minute I get into the office, I have a ritual where I go talk to the folks I work with. And it happens about 95% of the time, unless I've got a meeting or something else going on. 
And I literally, it's a, it's a walk and say good morning. It's a catch up on what we have going on for the day. It's a check in on pretty much anything that they want to talk about. Uh, but it's my good morning. And I, and I, I start out with uh, my assistants. I roll over to, um, to you know, um, my RVPs. I talk to my head of marketing, and we pretty much, you know, in, in, and if, I, if I'm able, I may stop and talk to the other leaders in the company or bankers, but that pretty much happens every day. And then, you know, throughout the day, the content of the day could, could change. I do try to eat something again, you know, before the end of the day just so I'm not starving when I get home for dinner. So I might have another little thing, you know, somewhere between three and five o'clock. And then unless I've got a dinner meeting or, or, or a meeting or something like that, you know, my day ends somewhere between seven and nine o'clock and I go home and, and have dinner. And some nights I'm, I'm, I try to be asleep by 930. And some nights I'm probably up till closer to 11. That's pretty much my week. And talk to me about things like this, because I know in the past, you know, you, you've played hockey or you've got other passions. You, you, you've done a movie, right? So you, you have these other things that you pursue outside of your kind of routine day. How do you fit those things in and how do you decide which things you want to do? So there was a period of time where I was, you know, that schedule I just gave to you was probably, I was probably up till two in the morning some nights because I'd leave here at seven, eight or nine o'clock. I'd go to a meeting till 11. By the time you get home and go to sleep and maybe catch up on a few things, it could be really late. I'm trying not to do that anymore. In fact, in the last year, one of my Achilles heels was sleep, and I'm really trying to focus on getting at least seven or eight hours a night. And on the weekends, I even try to get more. I'm just, you know, you can never predict what ailments you're going to get just by genetics, but I'm doing everything in my power to, you know, you know, have great wellness physically and, and probably in the best shape of my entire life right now at 45. So a lot of it is just around priorities. And there were things that I probably did three or four years ago to make time for some of these extra things that, you know, it's just, I can fit it in, but it's got to fit in when on my terms versus maybe three or four or five years ago, I was probably doing things on other people's terms. And I just have chosen to not do that anymore as much. You know, my main priorities are, are really threefold. Family, uh, my business here, and um, and my health, and and I think um, any decisions I make have to kind of meet the test of those three things. And I still will, you know. Look, it, it's all about prioritizing and sacrificing if you want to do certain things. I don't play hockey anymore, but um, but now I work out three days a week. And what I chose to do is just do it at a time where it didn't impact the rest of my life. I don't lose any family time, you know, and I don't uh, and I don't lose any work time. Uh, but I get I get I get what I need, you know, physically there, you know, making movies, you know, that to me, they've got to kind of work around my schedule. I, don't, I, I hate to say it like that, but I'm not working around that schedule anymore. We own a restaurant. And once again, you know, we fit in the time to <clears throat> to uh, the things that need our attention there based on our schedule. Uh, fortunately, I've got an incredible business partner, actually, of both businesses. I've got great people that that um, that run that run the business, so it doesn't require a whole lot. And if there's something else that interests me, like the Cavs home opener, I'm going to try to plan for it instead of just you know trying to figure it out last minute. Most things in my life, I really try to plan for so that I can make it all work. In our business, and and I know you know culturally early on, 
there's a lot of dinners and there's there's a lot of going out and you know often there's a lot of wine or beer just alcohol drinking in general um has that changed for you how do you handle that how how do you approach that piece i mean i do it as needed i don't really have any kind of rules around it i probably go to less you know dinners than i used to uh you know there was a, probably a time where you know i had a dinner like you know two times a week because you know if you're trying to you know, latch on with every team. My team is smaller now, so um, I've been able to, you know, probably not have quite as much of that. You know, like I said, it's, it's for me, it's about planning and prioritizing. If I don't have anything that conflicts with those things, then I try to participate as much as I can. If I've got something that conflicts, then I might, I just might not be able to make it. I can't, I can't be, I can't be everywhere. Uh, I found that's a much healthier approach than trying to serve every single person. Because what used to happen is I would let somebody down because maybe I wasn't spending enough time doing one thing, or I would let my family down because maybe I wasn't, you know, there and and I was just kind of caught in between both things. And and I try not to put myself in that position anymore. So we got we have five minutes left. So talk to me about in general, like what what skills have you had to have or develop. To, to get to where you are today, both, you know, from a business perspective, a family perspective, just in, in creating your life? The ability to kind of look at yourself and think about it. You know, there's a book, you've probably read it, called The QBQ. Have you read The QBQ? I have not. Oh, great book. You should read it very quick. You'll probably get through it in, in an hour, maybe less. It's the question behind the question. And I think the ability to look at yourself and ask the question of what could I have done better or, you know, having some real personal responsibility around things. I think that is an extremely important characteristic and trait. And, you know, when I think about, you know, and and I was just having this conversation with somebody, you know, one of my weaknesses, I think I was able to turn into a real strength over the years. And that weakness was, and I even remember back in the day, Patrick used to always say to me, don't be defensive. Even when I was defensive, I think, you know, someone would would offer me some criticism, usually him or Billy, and I would get kind of frustrated by it, right? And one of one of the things that I was able to do, even or you know, even you know, though I might have come off not open to it initially. But I would always come to the point where I would come around and, and take some positive action that would, would be the right steps. What I changed and made it one of my strengths is I've gotten much less defensive over the years. And I'm not going to say I'm perfect, but it's a very rare occasion that I'm not taking some feedback about something, whether it's from family, friends, somebody here at work, my leader, or people that report to me or consider me their leader. And I don't, you know, take the feedback and try to digest it in a way to think about it from a, okay, what could I have done better here versus like, you know, screw these people for saying things that I don't like hearing, right? All right. So we have one minute. If you were to give someone advice, a guy like me or, you know, anybody who wants to aspire to do the things that you did, I know you've listed some of the traits, but what would be kind of your your one piece of, of solid advice? You know, understanding what you want out of out of life is really important. And once you understand that, a lot of decisions become easy. The second thing is, I think a lot of people have this warped sense of what life should be like. I just, you know, maybe I'm just a little more realist about it, but I think you got to just 
be a realist about the fact that, like, look, if you could, you know, work uh, less than 40 hours a week, be highly successful, have all the time with your family and get to, you know, have all these experiences you want and take as many vacations as you want, you know, I just don't think that's realistic. I think I think you got to be real how your goals line up with what you're willing to do. And I've always tried to say, look, I may not have that, but there's things that I am going to uh, experience and there are things that I am going to do. And I'm going to make sure that I I display that to the people that are important to me so they they understand that they're important to me. And one of the things that we haven't talked about at all, which is something else that I've really worked hard on, I'm not perfect at it, but I've got better over the years, is what helps with this whole balance thing and, you know, is that when you're in, and we just heard a Navis SEAL talk, it was a guy who was part of SEAL Team 6, he called it all in all the time. And SEALs are not the best example of people who can balance their personal life with their their professional life. Do you, do you know why that is? No, why? Well, because there's only 3,000 of them and they've got more work than people to do the work. And so they're forced to be on on the road, essentially, for like two or three hundred days out of the year. So that's not a that's not a formula to win, a, you know, to have a successful relationship at home unless you're with a really special person. And they do that for like 10 years. Right. It's not like you're a seal. And then two or three years later, you're not like when you're a seal, you either continue to be a seal until you retire or die. You know, it's a very harsh lifestyle. I don't think anybody that I know kind of operates in the same level of a seal, but they did. The guy did talk about all in all the time. So at least when you are, you know, in the small amount of time that they were with family, like you got to be all in at that moment. And to me, that's just about being present in those interactions. So, you know, if you're not, if you're working all the time, you're not spending as much time as you want with your family. And then when you are spending time with your family, you're not focused in on that time with the family. Then do you think that the relationships that you have are going to be, uh, you know, feel really good? But you're right. No, they won't. I mean, you just right. got to be present. Right. So that, you know, that's another thing that I think, you know, I'd probably add in there to advice to somebody. Look, you may not be able to be there all the time, but when you are there, make sure that you're really there. Whew, that was a good one. Listen, I want to thank Richard Mandel for taking the time to talk to me. I hope everybody was able to extract uh, some things from that conversation with Richard. Uh, for me, again, the biggest takeaway was you've got to make the investment on the front end. You've got to make the sacrifices and the choices. That's how you're able to ascend uh, in your career. And that ascension in your career is what gives you the flexibility uh, to be a better parent, to be a better spouse, and uh, to provide in many, many ways. I mean, clearly, uh, if you put the work in, you're able to ascend uh, from a wealth perspective perspective, from an income perspective, uh, that's one form of providing. Uh, but I think more importantly, uh, it's the ability to be there for important things and have the flexibility in your schedule uh, to be able to do things and take vacations and be there for the kids' events uh, and be there for your spouse. Uh, I thought those were all really important things. So you got to invest on the front end. Um, I thought Richard did a really nice job explaining that. So I hope you enjoyed episode three. Uh, I'm really hoping that if you have not subscribed to the podcast, you will. You can subscribe at iTunes. You can subscribe on SoundCloud and uh, let's continue together to strive, struggle, and succeed.